Do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. After an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel. So Joshua and the Israelites defeated them completely at Gibeon. Israel pursued them along the road, going to Beth Horon, and cut them down all the way to Azka and Mecca. As they fled before Israel on the road down from Beth Horon to Azka, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them. And more of them died from the hail than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, Sun, stand still over Gibeon, and you, moon, over the valley, valley of Ajalon. So the, soon, so, so the soon sun stood still, and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies. As it is written in the book of Jasher, the sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down from a full day. There has never been a day like that before since, a day when the Lord listened to the human being. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. Then Joshua returned with all Israel to the camp at Gilgal. Joshua 11:16 through 23. So Joshua took the entire land, the hill country of the Negev, the whole region of Gushan, the western foothills, the Arabah, and the mountains of Israel with their foothills, from Mount Halak, which rises towards Seir, the Baal Gad, and the Valley of Lebanon, below Mount Hermon. He captured all the kings and put them to death. Joshua waged war against all these kings for a long time, except the Hivites living in Gibeon. Not one city made a treaty of peace with the Israelites, who took them in all in battle. For it was the Lord himself who hardened their hearts to wage war against Israel, so that he might destroy them totally, exterminating them without mercy. As the Lord had commanded Moses, at that time Joshua went down and destroyed the Anakites from the hill country, from Hebron, Deber, and Anab, from all the hill country of Judah, and from all the hill country of Israel, Joshua totally destroyed them and their towns. No Anakites were left in Israel territory, only in Gaza. Gath, Ashdod did survive. So Joshua took their entire land, just as the Lord had directed Moses, and he gave it as an inheritance to Israel, according to the tribal divisions. Then the land had rest from war. This is God's word. You may be seated. I want to repeat an announcement that uh, one of our shepherds, Cliff McCauley, uh, gave if you came in a little bit late this morning. As you know, we have been praying and we've been thinking all week about uh, brothers and sisters and fellow citizens in, uh, in the communities of, uh, around Oklahoma City and, and around the Metroplex and the Granbury area here in Texas and the devastation that has been brought into their lives because of the tornadoes. Uh, the elders have decided that they would like to dedicate the, the $5,000 that had been set aside for the uh, Church of Christ disaster relief from the budget, for that to be sent to them at this time to aid in the recovery uh, there in Moore, Oklahoma. They have also uh, decided to take $5,000 out of the general fund and to send it to the Oak Crest Church of Christ in Oklahoma City that is heavily involved in the recovery efforts there in Moore as well. And they have asked that if any of, uh, anyone would like to, uh, to add to that with a personal contribution uh, to make that check out and to give it to the shepherds or to one of the ministers and we'll make sure that that is added to that 5000 and those finances being sent to the Oak Crest Church to help them uh, feed people and to put people up in hotels and to find shelter for them and to supply their needs during this recovery. 
And uh, it, uh, it's going, as, as you've seen on the, the, the television screen and have read in the newspapers, uh, horrific storms. Uh, there is a, a lot of devastation that is going to take not just days and weeks, but it's going to take years to recover. And so we want to be mindful of all of these people in prayer, not just today, but in the weeks to come, that they will, uh, with, a, with a, the spirit that they have exhibited on the television over and over again, to, to rise up and, and to rebuild and to regather their lives. And, uh, and we will pray that in all of this, God is given glory and that people come to know uh, about God's grace and about God's kingdom through, through these events that they're experiencing in their life right now. And before we, uh, we study Joshua chapter 10 and 11 this morning, we're going to ask God to bless them and to bless us. Father, thank you for making yourself so abundantly present to us, not just in the mountaintop experiences where we are exuberant and we are filled with incredible courage and boldness and joy, but even in those dark places, in those dark tunnels, in those dark valleys, Father, where the earth has been shaken beneath our feet and the timbers around us have, have vibrated with the power of, of the storms that have come near us. We, we grieve with all of those, Father. Our hearts are broken with all of those that, that are grieving and heartbroken over the loss of, of people that they, they love very dearly. We, we pray, Father, that out of this, this great ruin that has come upon all of these cities, that, that your kingdom will shine like a city set on a hill that Your church will rise up in a way, Father, to, to bless people and to do good and, and, and to, to minister to people in a way that You are given great praise and great glory in those communities. We pray to always have our eyes fixed on You. We pray to have our vision fixed on things that are eternal and not temporal. Things that are unseen and not seen. We pray for generosity to well up in our hearts. And as we study this text, Father, and think about the greatness of the life that You have called us to in overcoming the obstacles and the adversity in front of us and to find spiritual blessing and victory in our life, we ask that You give us truly eyes that see and ears that hear. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Lewis Carroll, you know the name, wrote Through the Looking Glass. You may know that book by its more popular title, uh, Alice in Wonderland. In that book, he has a character by the name of the White Queen. And the White Queen tells Alice that she practiced believing six impossible things every morning before breakfast. Another writer, Frederick Buechner, suggests that there are certain traits possessed by children that ironically bode well for possessing mature faith because children have no fixed preconception of reality. And because that's true, they're predisposed to believe in the impossible and the improbable. And not only believe in it, but to anticipate it, to expect it. And that's what we find happening in these two chapters, in Joshua chapter 10 and chapter 11. We find the improbable taking place. We find the impossible taking place. Do we have the faith to believe that these things can happen with God's power? Now, here's the story. Last week, 
we considered all uh, the, the facts surrounding this ill-advised truce that's made between the B'nai Israel, the sons of Israel, and the Gibeonites. And then we open up to chapter 10, and there is one of the best names you'll ever find in the Bible, Adonai Zadak. It's a great name. He's the king of Jerusalem. And this fella, Adonai Zadak, he discovers that there's this truce that's been made between Gibeon and Israel, and this causes a lot of alarm, a, a lot of consternation on his part, because Gibeon is an important city, like one of the royal cities, and all of the men of the, you know, the Gibeonite men are good fighters. And so he's a little bit concerned about this, so he appeals to all of the fellow kings to go to war against Gibeon. And he goes to Hoham and to Piram and Japhia and Debir of Eglon. And he gets all of these fellows together and to, to com, uh, accumulate all of their, their militia together and their, their, their military powers together to go to war against Gibeon. But the Gibeonites, as you know, are very shrewd people. They are people who have their antenna and their radar up everywhere. And they become uh, aware of this, this, this battle that is going to go against them. And after they uncover the intent of Adonai Zadak and this alliance that he has put together, they send word to Joshua back in Gilgal to come in to save them. And in verse 6, they say, Do not abandon your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us, because all the Amorite kings from the hill country have joined forces against us. And even though Joshua, as we've seen, this is an ill-advised truce and it was made rationally and without inquiring of the Lord, it is nonetheless a vow that Joshua is going to have to keep. And so Joshua honors that rash covenant that he made with the Gibeonites and he forces the army to make an all-night march in full battle gear, ready for the battle, to make it to, to Gibeon in one night. Now, the thing that's kind of interesting about that is that we read over in chapter 9, verse 17, that Gilgal is a three-day walk or a three-day march or three-day travel to, to Gibeon. And in full battle gear with all of the rations, with all of the armor, with all of the weaponry, Joshua forces the army to make what is a three-day journey in a forced overnight march. And so here they come, the sun rises up, and they see this great army and they're worn out from, from, from the march. And Joshua is, is wondering what in the world is going to happen. And the Lord says to him, Yahweh says to him, don't, don't be afraid of them. Do not be afraid of them because I am going to deliver them into your hand. And on the day of, of battle, the Lord does three gigantic supernatural acts to bring Joshua victory and to bring victory to the sons of Israel. The first thing he does in verse 10 of chapter 10 is to throw the army, the enemy army, into a state of confusion so that nobody knew which way they were going. And then later, as this battle is going on and they're fighting with one another, the Lord, and we read about this in, in Job chapter 38, as Job has, has begun to question the Lord and the Lord shows up to him and begins to question him, he says, have you ever been to that place where I store up the hail for times of battle and times of war. About Job 38, verse 22, 23, right in there. During this battle in Joshua chapter 10, the Lord takes that hail from the storerooms where they st He stores the hail for war and for times of battle, and He drops those hailstones on the enemy. And then the third thing He does, as the, war the, the battle continues to do that day, and they need more time for the battle to be won, Joshua prays for the sun to stand still, and it does for a full 24 hour, hours. 
And it is a phenomenal day of victory for the sons of Israel. And the summary statement in verse 14 is this. There has never been a day like it before or since a day when the Lord listened to a human being. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. And then after that, these five kings that had made this alliance with Adonai Zadak, they see what the, which way the battle is turning. And so they flee and they hide in the cave of Makedah. There they're discovered and they're brought out of the cave. And Joshua has all of the commanders of the army to put their foot on the necks of those five kings, and then he has them executed. And at this point, the southern campaign, the people of Israel have crossed from the east side of the Jordan to the west side. They have cut across all the way to Ai, and then they have gone south now and have conquered the southern part of the Promised Land. Chapter, uh, chapter 10, verse 42, ends with these words. All these kings and their lands Joshua conquered in one campaign because the Lord, the God of Israel, fought for Israel. Chapter 11 begins the campaign to the north, focuses on the campaign to take all of those, that northern land of the promised land. And you have Jabin, who is the king of Hatsor. He's wanting to follow the same kind of plan that Adonai Zadak did in chapter 10, and that is to rally and to, to uh, make an alliance of all of those kings to fight against Israel. And he rallies all the kings of the north, which is a serious military force to reckon with. If you go to Antiquities that Josephus has written back during uh, the first century A.D., uh, a few decades after the time of Jesus, he writes about this particular instance in their history. And he says that these kings, these five kings, put together 300,000 foot soldiers, 10,000 mounted cavalry, and 20,000 chariots. Now that is an army to reckon with during the, this time. In fact, whenever you meet 300,000 soldiers, it is, a, it is a tremendous army to reckon with. But Joshua comes at them suddenly at the waters of Merom, and he defeats them, and you know the rest of the story, hamstrings the horses, he burns the chariots, and Hatsor itself is burned like Ai and Jericho. And chapter 11 ends with the giants, that, that is the, the Anakites, being destroyed, except for those that were able to make it to the cities of Gaza and to Gath and Ashdod. And believe it or not, Gath is later the home of a Philistine giant by the name of Goliath who is going to fight David in 1 Samuel. And then chapter 11 ends with these words, Then the land had rest from the war. And then the land had rest from the war. But that rest was hard won, was it not? And it's a reminder from an earlier lesson, this point that we made, that we do not drift into the blessings of God. That in Ephesians chapter 1, we read that all of the blessings that we are blessed with are found in the heavenlies. That's what Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. Every spiritual blessing is there for us in the heavenlies. But by the time we get to Ephesians chapter 6, what is it that Paul talks about? Is it not the armor of God that you have to arm yourself? You have to put on this armor of God because all of those blessings that are found in the heavenly realms, that's also where the monsters are found and the demons are found and everything evil is found and so to get those blessings in the heavenly realm you have to put on the spiritual armor which means that you don't drift lackadaisically or like you're on a lazy river floating into these blessings but these blessings are to be had through hard struggle now as we close out this this half of joshua i want to remind us of some of the strategies that we find in this book about finding spiritual victory, of being able to, able to overcome those battles that we face on a daily basis. The first one is this. Expect victory. 
Expect victory. Listen to these verses. Joshua chapter 10, verse 8. The Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. None of them will be able to withstand you. What does that mean? It means that Joshua is going into this battle before the battle even takes place, knowing that the victory is going to be his. It's what his expectation, his anticipation is. Look at Joshua 11, verse 6. The Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them, because this time tomorrow I will hand all of them to you, slain, over to Israel. Now we've talked about how these are prophetic, perfect intent, which means that even though they've not happened yet, they're still going to happen in the future, they're talked about with such certainty that the person that is hearing it is given this instruction to believe it. Now this is a truth that the enemy hides. The enemy is defeated, but he does not want you to know it. But if there is something that you need to get out of this lesson this morning, it is this statement. The battles that the Lord fights are the battles that the Lord wins. There's a a story that is told about a preacher who was traveling with his little son to a funeral. And he he knew the man pretty well, but he, he didn't really know what he was going to say at the funeral. And he's driving and he's thinking about what he's going to say. And he's trying to come up with an illustration. He's trying to come up with a story, something to say that's meaningful at this funeral. He's driving there with his son. When all of a sudden this bee comes into the car and is flying around. Son is scared to death of the bee. And as they're driving down the road, he's kind of swatting at it. The bee lands on his arm and stings him and then flies off and is still flying around the car. The son is still completely terrified of this bee. And the father says, son, you don't need to be worried about this bee. The bee has left its stinger in my arm. You don't need to be worried about this bee hurting you ever again. And then he had the illustration in his mind of what he was going to say at that funeral. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul is talking about a, a victory that we have not personally, if we are still alive right now, we have not experienced privately and personally and individually, even though it is a truth as great as any truth that we embrace in this life. And he is talking about what the resurrection means to death. And at the end of that chapter, he says, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is law. But thanks be to God, He gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what is improbable, and you know what is impossible to believe? Is that that this resurrection where Jesus dies on the cross and doesn't bounce back into a certain kind of a life, but pushes through death to the other side, to the new kind of eternal life that is promised to everybody, that, that death has been vanquished that way. But the truth of the matter is, is that it is true in Christ. And if that, that victory over death is a reality, and it is, and if that victory over death has been done in the power of Jesus, and it has been, then what does that mean for every other battle that you're going to fight of a lesser level? You know, sometimes we run into people that, 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 that struggle with, with different kinds of addictions. Men or women struggling with things like pornography. There's, there's spending that's out of control and, and financial stewardship that is just a train wreck. There's relationships. There's a lack of self-control. There's, there's anger that is rampant. There is, there is no sense of peace. There's nothing but anxiety, anxiety, anxiety. 
And those are the kinds of battles that we face every day. But how many times have we gone up against them in our own power, not in the power of God, not expecting to win and therefore have not won? You know, Joshua did not meet a single enemy throughout the entire book of Joshua that he did not expect by the power of God to overcome. As improbable and as impossible as it was to believe from a certain level, it was always true and it was always coming to fruition in the power of God. Now, as we fight these things on a daily basis that affect our discipleship, that affect the, 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 the quality of our relationship with God, that, that, that affect the quality of the reflection of Jesus in our life and therefore affect all of the joy and all of the peace and all of the other blessings, when we face those things and we know that they are wrong and we know that they have to be vanquished and we know that they have to be erased, we do not give up until they are gone. We do not approach these with the idea that if we get 50% of the territory or 25 feet of the territory or, or even 90% of the territory, that that's a big enough victory. Now, sometimes the victory takes a long time. Joshua and the people of Israel are fighting in the land of Israel for many, many, many years before they take the entire land as an inheritance, the promised land as, as a gift from God to them, a promise made to the forefathers. But we never give up when it comes to an issue in our life that is a, a diminishment, that is a, 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 a poor reflection of the power and the beauty and the majesty and the holiness of the life that God has called us to. And so, friends, I'm here to tell you that, that whatever it is you, you might be facing, it, it may be a lack of self-control in certain situations. It, it may be a problem with the pornography or it may be a problem with some other kind of addiction. It may be that your life is out of control in any number of areas. Let me tell you something, friends. Those are all victories that you should expect to win at some point in your life through faithfulness and the power of God that's at work in your being. Over and over and over again, this is what, what Paul tells us and, and, the, and other writers of the New Testament write to teach us. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, he says, you know why that spirit is inside of you? It's to strengthen you in the inner person. There is spiritual armor that is available to you so that you can take your stand against everything that is evil that is in an onslaught against your life. But at the very beginning, one of the, the, the beginning strategies of this kind of, of spiritual warfare is to expect victory. The second is this, to pray boldly. To pray boldly. What makes Joshua unique in the history of the world as a military genius? Is it because he's a great strategist? Well, you know, there's a lot of those around. Is it because he's a great motivator of many and give great war speeches? Well, there are plenty of those around as well. The thing that makes Joshua unique is that he had the faith that motivated him to pray boldly. Go back to Joshua chapter 10 and verse 14. There's never been a day like it or before or since, a day when the Lord listened to a man. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. You know, you're not going to believe this, but National Public Radio of all places, back in 1994, July, last day of July, July 31st, talked about a woman, a woman by the name of, of Cindy Hartman, who lived in Conway, Arkansas. She's in her home, and she's confronted by a gun-wielding burglar. 
She tries to call the police, but the burglar rips the phone. This is back before we had cell phones. We still had those landlines. You could you know, do something dramatic. If you were robbing a house, you could rip the phone out of the wall. He does this when she tries to call the police. Well, she drops to her knees and she begins to pray for God's help. This is a true story. National Public Radio, of all places, is reporting about this prayer. She even began to pray in that moment for the burglar. Not that God would just save her, but that God would, would also do something to the heart of this burglar. And then she began to tell him about God's love and about God's forgiveness for him. And then the burglar breaks into tears and he yells out the window of this home in Conway, Arkansas, as the woman is in the truck. He says, you've got to bring all of this stuff back into the house. This woman is a Christian. We can't do this. And then the last thing he does is he unloads the gun and hands it to the woman after he wipes fingerprints off of it and leaves. That's a true story. Why do so many believers, disciples of Jesus, live as if their God does not exist except at church? I don't know why that is, but God is with us every moment of the day. There is not a moment that He is not with us, that He does not see what's happening in our life, that we are not to be motivated to pray with great faith these bold prayers that God will change us, change the people around us, change, change, change the heart of somebody that we love so dearly. My question is, what are we doing on a daily basis that requires faith to get there? You know, there's a lot of things that I can think up between my two ears or I can conjure and build between these two hands. It doesn't take a lot of faith. It doesn't even take really the presence of God to get there. But if I'm a person that walks by faith and not by sight, if I'm a person that has my eyes focused on that which is eternal and not temporary, that is, I am able, as Moses is said to have done in, in Hebrews 11, to see Him who is invisible, what is it that I am doing in this life that is beyond my power to achieve it and can only be done by God's power, therefore He is the one that gets the glory for it? What victory do you desperately want to see happen that will require God intervening to achieve? You know, as we think about the spiritual warfare and we think about making advancements and we think about you know, the, the things that we want to achieve in this battle, we need to remember that the life of a, of a disciple advances on its knees. And there may be a lot of things that we can't do physically, but we can pray. And we can pray with a heart full of faith. And we can pray boldly through faith that God will do things in our community and in our life and around the world that will bring Him glory. And then number three, not only expect victory and pray boldly, but live with some reminders. Live with some reminders. Forgetting is a part of what it means to be a human being. And this is not just something that happens when you get older. I mean, I used to think that, that, uh, that, that forgetting was something that happened when you, when you got older and, and, and your mind maybe was not quite as active as, as it was when you were you were younger, but then I began to realize that there were all kinds of things that even as a young person I was forgetting. We forget not just the insignificant things, the things that don't really register in our memory, but there are times when we forget, we do not remember the most important things. 
You'll notice that as we read Joshua 10 and 11, actually the entire book of Joshua, one of the things that we notice throughout Joshua is that the sons of Israel advanced through the promised land through battle and they win all of these battles, but they always return to Gilgal. Do you know why? A pile of rocks. A pile of rocks that reminded them that God was blessing them. A pile of rocks that reminded them that the most important battles that they were facing were not won under their own power, but was won by the power of God. That with every advance that they made in that country, into that territory, that it was not done by their own power, but it was done by the power of the one who created everything. Now folks, we need to live with some reminders like that. As we, as we face the kinds of things that we face in this world that are a direct attack on our faith, that are an attack on the quality of the character that God is developing in us through His Spirit and through His Word, there are some things that need to, 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 to remind us the truth of 1 John chapter 4 where He says, the one that is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. You know, we're reminded of this every Sunday, really. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, you know, it's, 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 not, it's not the Lord's continental breakfast. You know, a little bit of juice, a little tiny piece of pastry, and that's all there is to it. It's just something that we do every Sunday morning. No, that, that Lord's Supper is a reminder that the most significant event in the history of the world has become an event that is significant to us. And when we fellowship, and, you know, I'm not the only one that does this. All, all of us here, you know, there are times when we, our lives intersect with each other and we talk with each other and, and we are reminded of the work of God in each other's lives. And we listen to the biblical text on a daily basis to be reminded that God's Word is not only inspired, but it's inspired for us. And it's not busy work, but a reinforcing of a very profound spiritual truth that in Romans 16, verse 20, one of my favorite verses, that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Remember, it is Satan who is in retreat. Not the disciples of Jesus. You know, the power of Satan is to be respected, but it's not to be feared. The one who is in you is stronger than the one that is in the world. There is going to be a day in which the God of peace is going to crush Satan under our feet. That's why he's in retreat, not the disciples of Jesus. God has revealed his utter and exhaustive dominion over his enemies through three supernatural acts in Joshua 10. The camp is in confusion. There are the hailstones that are hurled, and, and, and the day is 24 hours longer because the sun stands still. That kind of power, according to Paul in Ephesians 1, is the same kind of power that is available to all of us. And it's the enemy who is the one who is backing up and retreating, not God's people. And then the last thing we'll talk about this morning as a reminder of all of this strategy that we find in Joshua is a commitment to obedience. God, friends, requires a second-to-none commitment to obedience to His will. In Joshua chapter 10, verse 40, He totally destroyed all who breathed just as the Lord, the God of Israel, had commanded. Joshua chapter 11, verse 12. Joshua took all these royal cities and their kings and put them, put them to the sword. He totally destroyed them as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded as God had commanded him. 
Joshua chapter 11, verse 15, As the Lord commanded his servant Moses, so Moses commanded Joshua, and Joshua did it. He left nothing undone of all that the Lord commanded Moses. The thing that those verses have in common is an unparalleled singular commitment to doing the will of God on a daily basis. You know what that means? It means that disciples must enthrone Christ as Lord in their hearts every, every day. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a, a show that, we, that doesn't get a whole lot of publicity, even though there have been a lot of movies, modern movies made, of Superman. You know, I can, I can remember growing up in the 1960s on that black and white television, uh, that series with George Reeves uh, playing Superman. He was not quite, you know, the, 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 the bulked up Superman that we see today, but he was Superman nonetheless. And one, in one of the early episodes, George Reeves as Superman, he breaks into this cabin where all the robbers are at. And the robbers are kind of startled, but one of them grabs a pistol and begins to shoot at Superman. You know what Superman does it sticks that chest out, and bang, 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 empties that revolver into Superman's chest, and Superman just stands there and just bouncing right off of it. And then the funniest thing happens. That robber looks at the gun. There are no more bullets. He throws it at Superman. What does Superman do? Ducks! <laughs> what in the world? If there's anything that you get out of the book of Joshua is that when God and you are in relationship and you're going through life together, and regardless of what it might be that Satan and all of the kingdom of darkness may hurl at you, you never have to die. You never have to die. The, 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 the battles that the Lord fights are the battles that the Lord wins. And there is so much to overcome in this life that there is no way that we should even attempt or even think of, it, of trying to achieve it except that He go before us. And that we are committed to doing everything that He tells us to do and to trust everything that He asks us to trust. Ben's going to lead us in a song right now. Some of our shepherds are going to be down here at the front. And maybe you've been doing a lot of ducking lately. And you're finding that that's not a strategy that's getting you very far down the road. That you're still struggling with the same kinds of things. In fact, not only are you struggling with it, but you're, you're beginning to feel like maybe that's the way it's always going to be. Perish that thought. Perish it. Or it may be that you've never, you've never come to grips with the fact that there is no way that you can have this life that is eternal under your own power, under your own steam. It's only a life that you can have through love. The love of a God who looks down on His creatures who are struggling and provides the way for them to come out from the utter, certain, dark, profound defeat to find victory in Christ. And if He is able to bring you out under the curse of death into the relationship of love and grace and mercy and forgiveness that He calls you to through Jesus Christ, then how much more, how much more will you overcome in all of these lesser battlefields?
If that describes you in any way this morning, we want you to come down to the front and talk to these shepherds. Let's stand and praise God together. Is it for me, dear?